welcome to the Old Reiki Retold podcast. I'm Vicky Garrington and I'm a history curator with Museums and Galleries Edinburgh. We're embarking on an exciting project looking into our entire collection, finding out amazing stories that have been hidden and are just waiting to be told. These bite-sized podcasts will be conversations, interviews and general good chat that will tell you a little bit more about the stories behind Edinburgh, our old Reiki. This episode is all about contemporary collecting and a project my fellow history curator Anna McQuarrie has been working on throughout lockdown. Hi Anna. Hi Vicky. Thanks for coming along to have a chat today. I thought I would kick us off with a bit of a thought which was about that apocryphal supposedly Chinese curse which was may you live in interesting times and I was just thinking if any times were interesting it's surely got to be right now hasn't it? Yeah, interesting is certainly one word for it, isn't it? I think I'd probably put inverted commas around the word interesting there. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think when we're thinking about contemporary collecting, I guess that's partly what we're trying to do is capture interesting times. And I think if you're a museum person, you're so used to the term contemporary collecting, you just sort of expect it to make sense to the world at large. But it's quite a niche phrase, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it is kind of a a bit of museum speak, really. But contemporary collecting really just means collecting uh, objects and material culture relating to the here and now. So kind of the present day our, our lives in and in and off this point in time. So it's a uh, contemporary collecting is just kind of a nice sort of succinct way of, of describing that as a museum process. So why is it that we would want to collect things in the moment? What's good about collecting when something's going on in the world? I suppose you have to think about it from a perspective of the times that we're living through just now, pandemic or no pandemic, these at some point will be history. So we have to think about things that are happening just now that people might want to reflect back on. And it's quite hard to collect objects for our museum collections kind of retrospectively. So if, for instance, all of a sudden you were to end up in in the midst of a global pandemic, as we are just now, and you try to collect objects relating to that maybe a year or two years after the end of you know, the pandemic or whatever other event, it becomes a very hard thing to do because most people will kind of have maybe moved on to thinking about something else or whatever is kind of current in their lives at that time, they'll be thinking about that instead. So by collecting things right now as a event is happening, it means that we've kind of got a hold of some objects which reflect this time and which further down the line, um, you know, successive museum people or general public or successive generations will be able to look back on as as a historical object and as a kind of historical fact but it's just that we were able to get it at the time it means that we're not missing out opportunities to kind of reflect on important events which we might otherwise miss out if we try to do it retrospectively. That's interesting what you're saying there so there are maybe some things certain types of objects that might be ephemeral that might end up getting lost in the intervening years But also, if we're collecting things now, then we get all the context around those objects and we kind of get a a better snapshot of the time and we get to grasp the story a little bit better, I suppose, then. Yeah, absolutely. It means that we can kind of really keep the the human element of everything kind of at the fore, which I always feel is a really, really important part of any social history collection. And you, like me, Vicky, you're a history curator and working on our social history collections. So I think it always comes down to kind of the people that are to do with the collections and the kind of the human element. And I think by collecting things in the here and now as you say you you don't lose the ephemeral side of it and the human experience that makes these objects important but it's a totally different kind of object you know we, we think about it in a really different way and it's got a real it's got the humanity to it and it's got that little bit of edinburgh in it as a result i think the about the people here at the time and what it meant to them i think as a museum visitor 
Although you might want to see, you, I mean, you do want to come along and see the Covenant. Um, you do want to come and see Greyfriars Bobby's Bowl <laughs> yeah. um, when you come to the Museum of Edinburgh. You do, you do want to see those kind of iconic things, but you also really, I think, you want to engage with people yeah. from the past and really people like you. Yeah, yeah. And and that really helps if we are collecting in the moment. It's also making me think about how um, individuals try these days, especially. I think Marie Kondo has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> We're, we're constantly shedding stuff, we're moving on, we're clearing out, whereas perhaps institutions tend to hang on to things for longer. And if we really want to capture the stories of individual people, that seems to work a lot better if you try and get them before somebody's thought, right, I'm decluttering this stuff, I don't need it anymore. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, we like to think that everything in our collection sparked joy for us, obviously, but it's nice to think that we definitely got that connection <laughs> that's, that reminds the, the donors about what it meant to them as well, absolutely. So I guess one of the really interesting things about coronavirus pandemic is that it's something it's something that's happening across the world, it's affecting people worldwide, but it's also something that's being responded to uniquely within Edinburgh. It sort of works on those two registers. It's part of a grand narrative, but it's a bit of local history as well. And that's quite interesting for our collections, which are quite Edinburgh-focused, aren't they? Yeah, um, I think that's one of the things that makes this whole period in time so interesting, like for us just living through it, but also that will be of real interest further down the line, is the the local and regional responses to it both from a kind of public health perspective but also from a community perspective I think as well even within Edinburgh the different areas and localities they've been we've seen kind of different responses from community organizations and community groups and just individuals responding in different ways to try and find find a way through it both to help themselves and to help their neighbors and their families yeah I find that aspect of it really really fascinating and I think there's a lot in that which we're only really going to be able to understand and properly reflect on much further down the line you know even probably only starting from maybe next year that we'll be able to if we're not going into a second wave for instance if we're able to kind of come out of everything I think it's only going to be sometime afterwards that we're able to kind of reflect on it with a bit more kind of distance to really understand quite what was going on and what happened yeah it's fascinating I think it would be really good to talk to people about how we put the call out to the community to get objects yeah, because we've had to take quite a different approach for this project than we have done other contemporary collecting projects. So whereas contemporary collecting can sometimes be quite a quick process, rapid response collecting is another term for contemporary collecting that some museums use. And it is that idea of it being kind of something that you, you, you act on very quickly when something is happening. For instance, if there is a, a march or a protest happening in a city, it might be that that is organised very quickly, just in response to something that's going on in the world. But for this one, because we knew the gravity of the situation, the extent of what was happening and we were all living through it ourselves with changing to working from home and you know it's something that each and every one of us was experiencing we knew that the approach needed to be a bit different so rather than just kind of relying pretty much wholeheartedly on social media or connections that we already had as individuals we took the approach of really trying to get some press interest in it as well. So we're working with a PR company that we were so fortunate to to have um, in the museum working with us and to really try and uh, speak to the papers and speak to different media outlets to try and share word about what we were doing and really try and reach as much of the community as possible. We know as much as we would like to think that everybody in Edinburgh knows about our museums and is engaged with what we do, that that's just practically not, not the case. <laughs> so um, this was a way of trying to really, really stretch our audience and, and who we were reaching out to 
to for this. Also knowing again, just because it was affecting absolutely everybody, which is really, really unusual for any sort of contemporary collecting project. It's, it's, it's rare in anything in life that there's something which is so universally affecting. So yeah, so taking a really different approach and again, still using social media and personal connections and everything, um, but relying on a re- relying on kind of a press interest in a way that we don't you don't usually for this type of project going back to the community response so many of our staff live in different communities across um, Edinburgh that really relying on people feeding in what they were seeing happening around them as well and being able to share information that for instance me where I live wouldn't be seeing what was happening for for you live Vicky just so we're in different parts of town so I find that really interesting as well that again it's just been a really different um, way of having to to work and organize ourselves as staff far less the discussion about doing it not being in the office which is a whole other whole other complexity to to operating this kind of project so yeah it's just from from top to bottom has been a totally different way of, of working for this yes, that's really interesting that sort of difference um from a normal project but it has had that sort of aspect of field work about it about getting out there in our communities and seeing what's going on um but we weren't really able to directly collect like that it was more about seeing what was happening and and feeding back to you as the project lead for this perhaps signs in shop windows or um artistic interventions somewhere on the cycle path that kind of thing and and flagging those up to each other i suppose and then a mixture of that and then using the media to try and get the word out there um, and we just had an amazing response didn't we from the public yeah it's been absolutely just a fantastic response I think we were all slightly apprehensive at the start of the project or certainly I was as project lead thinking it's, it's either going to be all or nothing I think with something like this people are either going to be really engaged with what we're doing and understand it and want to contribute and help for us and perhaps maybe have an avalanche of offers of donation or it's going to be m- maybe nothing else and everybody would be perhaps rightly preoccupied with more important things in the midst of a global pandemic. So it was a really hard one to judge kind of what sort of responses we would we would get. But every single one we've had has just been fantastic. And the stories we've had behind them have been so profoundly moving and kind of covering every every aspect of the kind of um, emotional journey I think that we've all been on um, from people who have been who have had the virus themselves and have been gravely unwell and has impacted so many aspects of their lives through to other people who are um you know have been perhaps more fortunate and have you know come out come out of lockdown and, and and been fine and well and in a position of job security and everything i feel like we've had a lot which has really really shown the the breadth of experience across the city um and it what struck me has been the willingness of people to share these really personal stories with us as well i think um yeah, I think that uh, seems really moving. It's nice to think that every donation we get re- outside of this project has got a personal human connection with it from whoever donates it to us. But there's something really deeply personal about every story that we're getting in um, as a part of this project, which is which has been profoundly moving to read and an absolute privilege from my perspective as well. I think we we are really privileged, aren't we, to get this kind of this glimpse into the way that people are living right now and to have that happening while the pandemic is happening, that it's it's very hot off the press, really, isn't it? And it, like you say, it's amazing that people are actually thinking right now about stuff that's still probably quite raw emotionally for them, but they're still willing to engage with us and talk about donating objects. 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, emotionally raw is a really good way of describing it. And I think when you see some of the, the emails that have been coming through from people, that's really what strikes me is that the intensity and the immediacy of the feeling that people are expressing about what what they've been experiencing themselves is, is really something, really something. Mm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the things that we've been offered that we're going to um, accept into the collection. What have been a f- just a few of the highlights? But of the physical objects we've had donated, um, cool. I'll talk about the physical objects first and because we've also had some digital donations as well. There's two which I feel are a really nice sort of balance to each other from different donors in, as far as I'm aware, different parts of the city. But one from a 92-year-old individual who shared their shopping list with us, but in their email they said they, unsurprisingly, weren't really... <laughs> adventuring out to the shops at any point this was during the kind of peak of lockdown and they shared pictures of a shopping list where everything is itemized and that their neighbor goes to collect it for them on the day that they go and get their messages and they come back they settle up so it's got all the costs there and everything as well and it's something which is just so straightforward and which any of us can identify with you know having a list for going and get your messages from the supermarket but the fact that it's this thing that's been shared between one neighbor and another that the gesture of the neighbor going and collecting the messages for the for the other neighbor every week making sure that everything is settled up just so you know there's no 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 debts or anything outstanding either way there's just something about it that's that's absolutely brilliant and from a social history perspective having something that's itemized like that in that way as well so you know exactly how much say a punnet of tomatoes or a, or a tub of yogurt or something costs in in march or april 2020 that that's brilliant from a curatorial perspective as well but there's just there's that underlying story behind it about that generosity of, of spirit which is really nice and um as a balance to that i think another one from the kind of a much younger age bracket I think it's from a 12 year old who took it upon themselves to write a a joke of the day for the for the whole duration of lockdown and that each day this new joke which was really nicely illustrated and and drawn up and everything really colorful was posted outside their hedge for neighbors passing on their daily walk to be able to kind of enjoy oh, I love that <laughs> yeah um, and seeing a couple of jokes I mean they're my kind of sense of humor they're a bit daft you know that you might expect from a 12 year old but it's just they're just brilliant and again there's that generosity of spirit of wanting to share and wanting to do something that's got a goodness to it that's for other people and for a sense of kind of bringing people together and providing for your immediate community there's there's something really beautiful in that I think I have on, on great authority that apparently neighbours would be queuing up to see you know socially distanced queuing each day to see what the joke was and that was really a point of attraction for the local community which I think is just it's just lovely and for a young person to take that upon themselves that they, that's something that they want to do you know no coercion from any grown-ups or anything I think that's that's lovely but there's been a few other things as well like um we've been offered a, an old jelly pan so a jam jelly pan with a wooden spoon which was used on the Thursday clap for caters to make a racket on the donor street each week with the wooden spoon having been broken as a result of the the force that they were using when they they were banging on it brilliant so a really nice little detail things like that but there's been a whole load of things that that we've had in um including well yeah i mentioned digital objects before we've had a lot of uh, offers of photography from people as well understandably like any of us do people are out taking pictures whenever they're walking around and i think especially in the early days of lockdown when it was this so all of a sudden just a different world that we were living in in our daily walks when there was nothing open there was nobody around and you were only allowed out once a day we've got we've had a lot of offers of photography of basically representations of that in the city so the old town with 
absolutely nobody on it when we were getting on for what would ordinarily be peak tourist season. And a picture of the bypass on Easter Sunday, um, which ordinarily, you know, a busy holiday day, people going and visiting family, and there's not a single car on it. And it's rare to see the bypass without any cars on it at any time of day whatsoever, far less when this image was taken, which was lunchtime on Easter Sunday, or getting on for lunchtime. So there's been interesting, interesting sort of balance between the digital photos really showing an emptiness and a kind of forlornness and the physical objects that we've had which have a sense of of people coming together and of and of a kind of a community and there's there's a there's a cheerfulness a hopefulness in the physical objects that we've been offered compared to the digital photography which is quite an interesting balance in that it really seems to show the kind of the loneliness I think of those those early days the uncertainty and that the fear for a lot of people I think as well is a, a fascinating balance between mm-hmm. the two that must that sort of really exemplifies the roller coaster feeling of the pandemic, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Coaster, that, yeah. that some days you just feel like there's hope for humanity yet, while everybody's, you know, outside waving to their neighbours. And but then in other ways, the the city suddenly becomes very strange and um, disorienting when there's no no buses going past and empty of people except for people in face masks, and it, it's a a really um, unsettling experience in some ways navigating a city during lockdown, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I do know you um, You also picked up on some of the hyper-local news stories about things that businesses were doing. So it hasn't just been um, individuals that have responded to the call for objects, has it? When I mean, You've had a really great response from some of the local businesses. Yeah, so this has been a really interesting part of it. Um, yeah, because I think almost everything that I've discussed so far has been about kind of individuals and communities and kind of uh, people um, like you or me just doing things off their own back. But actually, we've been able to collect some objects from professional organisations and uh, pro- producers as well. So there's two separate distilleries, both based in Leith, who have moved at the early point of the pandemic when we were seeing shortages of all sorts of PPE for for anybody, for this frontline and key workers, they moved from producing their distilled spirits into producing hand sanitizer instead to be able to share with frontline and key workers as well. I think this is a story which you can see being replicated all over the country. I think distilleries all over the place have been doing it. Each distillery has used their own kind of established uh, branding in the bottles that they've been distributing of this hand sanitizer. But I'm really delighted that we've been able to acquire um, these bottles. So it's a really fascinating change in kind of production and just I think quite an interesting thing to see bigger organisations doing for the greater good, really. I mean, obviously some good PR, that is a positive thing for, for them. I find that quite interesting. I mean, they weren't quite, they weren't profiting financially out of, out of doing this. They were doing it because they, they recognised there was a need for it and they had the infrastructure that they were able to produce this um, this this useful kind of useful product. So I think that that's really, really fascinating, yeah. And it's amazing how they managed to turn things around from gin production to hand sanitizer production so quickly and also to come up with such beautiful designs for their bottles as well. They're very eye-catching, aren't they? And I guess that um, that's something that we have to consider when we're collecting um, about the pandemic is that we are imagining that at some point these objects might be shared with the public in some way either as a physical exhibition or maybe online so though aesthetics wouldn't be the sole thing that we would think about when we were collecting it certainly um, gets us a bit excited if, if we imagine something's going to look great on display doesn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely I think it would be 
Um, it would be dishonest of us to say that we don't think about the the display potential of an object when when we're collecting it. And if something is kind of aesthetically pleasing in some way, as both of these both of these bottles are, yeah, it would be it would be dishonest of us to pretend that we didn't think about that because it is really important that a visitor to a display or an exhibition is not just interested in what they're being told and what they're reading and what they're experiencing of the of a display or an exhibition, but that they're also able just to kind of visually be drawn into something. And if you've got good looking objects to catch people's eye in amongst everything else that's really useful definitely and I think these bottles are yeah they're nice to look at definitely some really really nice design nice branding I'm really excited about the crocheted panels that are coming in from a very skilled crafter yeah um, isn't she who's who's been blogging about the work that she's been doing and doing all these little covid squares which are just very intricate aren't they yeah so I think this is a really good example of the kind of crossover between an artistic response, which I think you mentioned at the start of our conversation, and kind of a reflection on just kind of our, our current present times. So this is a individual crochet squares, which are being all crocheted together to make one large blanket. And the level of detail on the school which has gone into each one is just just fantastic. A really, really skilled craftsperson who's 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 gone and made all of these and the design considerations behind that as well. And what I really like about it is that it has it reflects on things like the 30 clap for caters and the rainbows that we've seen in all over people's windows and these now very identifiably COVID-19 kind of visual motifs, but it also crosses over into into the more pop culture references, which have also been a really big part of this of this whole experience. For instance, at the start of lockdown, when everybody seemed to be watching Tiger King on Netflix, <laughs> and there's a little square about that, for instance... So I think it's got a really nice crossover between kind of um, shared cultural references, which, you know, a lot of people will recognise, and us being able to say this is a very 2020 thing, as well as it being the more serious side of the pandemic as well. But yeah, it's a really, really beautiful piece of, of art, I think. And it will, going back to what we were saying before, it will have, it does have um, a lot of uh, display potential, definitely really eye-catching really really well thought out and and well produced so obviously at the moment we're not in a position to be able to actually physically collect objects and normally if we were going to accept objects into the collection somebody might be invited in to bring their object and um, transfer of ownership paperwork would be filled out and the object would come into our our safekeeping not necessarily immediately but um, pretty soon after an offer of donation but it's going to be quite different with these objects isn't it that at the moment our stores aren't open our museum venues aren't open and we're not really able to because of social distancing accept uh, objects in so how are we going to approach that well we've got a, a plan in principle at the moment but it's all yeah I mean it's all totally dependent on us being able to gain access to our to our buildings which at the moment we're still we're still not in a, in a safe position to be able to do that and we're waiting for the 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 go-ahead and uh, but it will be a really different uh, process and we've been working hard on trying to ensure that we have really as little face-to-face -face contact with people as possible which sounds a bit cold-hearted but instead we're really relying on doing everything digitally as much as possible so um when an object comes in and we fill out that very important paperwork and um, we usually then have a chat with the donor and find out all about the object there in person and it's an opportunity to meet them and say thank you and express gratitude and explain the wider picture of then what happens to the object but instead we've just had to change instantly to doing as much of that as possible by email so that when we do have a, a collection or a drop-off point further down the line 
um, that we're able really just to kind of not put ourselves or the donors at any unnecessary risk by, you know, speaking to each other or spending too much time in each other's company. We we uplift the object and then we take it back to the museum store or it's donated to us um, at a museum venue, just depending on, on what what route we go down further down the line. But yeah, it's having to really rethink about our our entire established process really which has been um is has needed a lot of thought put into it to ensure that it's not just that we're able to get as much of the information as we would ordinarily expect about an object when it's donated to us but also that we're still legally in doing the right thing as well because it is as you mentioned a transfer of title form it is a it's a, it's a legally binding thing so yeah that's needed a lot of thought and has a kind of well quite a few of us um behind the scenes putting a lot of consideration and, and problem solving really really to the fore for that there's still I think a few things to be worked out you know at the time at which we're recording this it's a plan on paper but um, until our venues reopen and we actually kind of put it to our, our managers for, for approval it'll kind of remains to be seen actually how it'll work in practice but in theory we've got a plan yeah and our donors are being really brilliant aren't they about hanging on to things knowing that we do want those objects and they're going to hang on to them until it's safe to transfer ownership which is is great that we've managed to have you know you've managed to establish those relationships with donors yeah I think that's been such an important part of it we have to ensure that people um feel like something which has meant a lot to them and has and reflects a very possibly challenging time in their life um, that we're able to kind of care for that and really give it the respect that it's due and give the donor the respect that it's due as well so I think it's really important that we do establish those relationships and we put in the, the time and the effort to to ensure that people feel like that they can trust us and what we're doing and us as a museum service as well as individuals so I think it's, it's really really important and that's been that's been a massive part of this whole project is spending that time corresponding with people, speaking to them, explaining about what we do in, in some depth often as well if people aren't familiar with what a museum collection means. Um, so yeah, that's that's been a, a huge amount of work, but it's been, again, it's something which I consider a privilege of, of this job, that you're able to build up those relationships with people you might never meet otherwise and really learn something about um, other people's lives in a way that kind of helps you reflect a bit more on what you're doing and, and, and on your own circumstances as well. Absolutely. And and I think that the work that you're doing on this project is really going to make a contribution to the old Reiki Retold project, isn't it? That even though it, these aren't items that are already within our collection, that we've got hidden stories mm-hmm. to reveal about them, that they're, they're hot off the press contributions to our <laughs> wider collection and we're going to be giving them the old reiki treatment really aren't we one thing that i find really interesting about all the 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 covid donations is that they all tie into other pre-existing parts of our social history collections as well so all those things that we're looking at in old reiki and so much of old reiki is about finding stories and about drawing connections between different parts of our collections and finding out from the community and you know from the people of Edinburgh what objects mean to them and what stories they have about different subjects and objects and collections all of our COVID collections fit into those they are their own thing but they do also tie into social history say maybe talking about education or public health or um, shops and shopping and kind of tenement life and home life all these different sort of subjects which we look at and we think about in our social history collections anyway 
these new donations all tie into those and they're they're forming a contemporary reflection on those subjects which we have examples of going back some hundred years in the collections already so it's a really nice way to kind of keep everything up to date and I think that's a really nice way of looking at it that almost every object that we add to our collection helps us say something about what we've already got so uh, a new piece of crocheted artwork sort of somehow makes some new connections between a crocheted protest banner or a, a crocheted quilt that might have been made during World War Two, that sort of thing. That each of the, each of those objects helps contribute to the story of every other object. Yeah. And maybe with the hand sanitizer, it, it ties in really well with the history of um, brewing and distilling in Edinburgh, <laughs> doesn't it? But even the yeah. the kind of com- production of commercial artwork within Edinburgh as well. We've got lots of wonderful old advertising artworks and I can see that the beautiful designs on those and sanitizers will tie back to those collections as well. Yeah. Sort of everything we collect sheds light on what we've already got, I think, yeah. and helps us tell that old Reiki story, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really, really nice way of, of looking at it, absolutely. And I think what's really beneficial for me is that because I'm fortunate enough to be part of a team, so with yourself, Vicky, and with other colleagues working in our in our collections team, I feel really pleased that while I'm kind of dealing with these donations at the kind of at the coal face, as as it were, um, you know, speaking to people who are donating them and finding out about them, having perspectives from colleagues who are slightly more distant to them, who you know are hearing about them, you know, further down the line when I'm sharing the information, it helps it helps bring a little bit of clarity to them, I think, and being able to think about them without the the immediacy of the the kind of the and nights of the project which I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis so I am being able to draw out those connections with a wee bit of um, having a bit of distance to the objects which I don't have myself so I think that's um, it, yeah I mean that sort of wider perspective on it is so useful and really really beneficial and it's great to think that those um, collections coming in as well could be used because of the way they connect with other objects it could be used in all kinds of different online and real world exhibitions as time goes by couldn't they so at some point in the future, um, objects from that COVID collection will probably pop up in a in a physical exhibition in one of our venues. But we're hoping also to get material put online so that other people can can see what's been donated, aren't we? Yeah, because I think we all have to be realistic that even when our venues reopen, it's a new kind of normal for the foreseeable future. It's not going to be going to museums as we knew it, you know, a year ago. So I think ensuring that we have some of this material up online so for people who whether they whether they are in Edinburgh or near to Edinburgh, I might otherwise visit the venues for those who who can't who who aren't able to who don't want to physically come to the venue that they're still able to engage with these stories and with these objects and yeah we have to have to rely on our kind of um our online selves for for that and really ensure that we're able to share it as far and wide as possible that way instead. So we've been given a lot of personal items and then also things from local businesses have been promised to us as well and I guess as curators it's so tempting to just say yes to everything because it's all got merit hasn't it it's all all valuable historically but we just can't accept everything can we so how do we try and make that call? Yeah, this is one of the really hard things, I think, because, yeah, as you say, you do want to be able to say yes to everything, but there are a few kind of practical things which mean we just can't. So first and foremost is often space. (laughs) We have um, a finite amount of space in which we can store things, and so it's really dependent often on the, the size and form of an object. So, for instance, if we were to be offered 
a car for some for some reason if it had a really wonderful story behind it and you know great provenance and everything i think we just don't have anywhere to put a car whereas smaller objects it's very easier to store we can find space for things so some often space is, is a is a big part of it but it's also thinking about what the wider story that an object tells and this is where our kind of um, curatorial skills come into play when we have to think about the object in the context of our wider collections and also in the context of the collecting project how the story of that individual object whether the, the physical form of the thing the story behind it what the donors told us about it how all those things kind of play and interrelate and how much value that that object might have going forward and i don't mean in a, in a financial sense but rather in the in the sense of how much potential research interest is there going to be in that how much display potential is there in that how much long-term historical value is there in that how unique is this object and these are things which you have to kind of make an educated guess on and it's our, our kind of informed opinion you know we've been doing this job for a while you start to get a sense of where a certain object um, might fall in each of those sort of categories but that's not to say that you know it's that we always make the right call or the right decision I think you know there is always room for error in that and we're not we can't predict the future and what people are going to be interested in but there's definitely informed decision that decision making that goes behind saying yay or nay to an object and but ex trying to explain that to an, to a general member of the public can sometimes be very hard because I think people everybody thinks rightly so that their object is perhaps the most important one or the one that's most worthy of of inclusion in a museum collection so it can be a hard news to hear sometimes I think when you're telling somebody that sorry actually it's not quite right for our collection but I think that's also when the kind of museum community comes into play so well when you can say to somebody well it's not right for us but have you tried contacting this museum or that museum instead and saying we are not the the only museum service that exists that might be interested in this object there are other places to go forth and speak to them. Yeah that, and that's a good point that we we collect we collect so specifically about Edinburgh, don't we? And we, you know, that's part of our remit is to collect the story of Edinburgh. So things that sit out with that, we might point somebody in a different direction, mightn't we? Yeah, absolutely, because we are bound by it being related to Edinburgh. And goodness knows we've had objects offered to us which are fascinating with fantastic stories, but with little or no connection whatsoever to Edinburgh so it's just not something that we can take and you do kind of sometimes then wish of thinking oh I wish we could just take everything but no we have to we have to stick to our guns on it and um yeah ensure that it's got a, it's got a strong relevant connection to Edinburgh. And if, if people are um, interested in donating objects to the Covid collection where should they go to look for information about the project? Um, on our website we've got a dedicated page about the project with an outline of the kind of the thinking behind it really what we've been discussing here today and um, how to get in contact with us as well and that's got my email address on it there all the information's on the website and so our website can be visited at www.edinburghmuseums.org.uk or look in the audio description below for a link I think it just goes to show, doesn't it, that for us in, in the museum world, every day is a school day and, yeah. and um, you know, that we're not just the, the holders of knowledge about old stuff, but that we're also busy learning all the time and trying to work with the public to reflect what's going on in Edinburgh and in the world right now, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, if we're not able to kind of keep working productively with the communities in which we 
live ourselves and in which we work, then our, our work would be lesser for it, I think, definitely. If we're able to keep working with people who are so generous with their time and with their knowledge and with their own personal experiences too, it means that our collections are all the richer, I think, for audiences today and for, you know, years to come as well. Definitely. It really helps us with telling the story of Old Wiki, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks <laughs> Thank for you. giving us a bit of a glimpse into contemporary collecting. for today from the Old Wiki Retold podcast. You can visit us at edinburghmuseums.org.uk or find us at Edin Culture on Twitter to join in the conversation.